So the homie Dustin hit me up about going to Made in America. And if you don't know what Made in America is, it's a two-day music festival that occurs in Philly. And it's black urban music, you know? It's like this year, uh, the main headliner is Justin Bieber. And then second billing is Lil Baby. And then it's like Meg Thee Stallion, Roddy Rich, Baby King, 504, Young Thug. So, you know, be fun for a guy like me. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I mean, in terms of musical taste, but I know what you're thinking. If you've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, you're like, who the fuck would invite, would knowingly invite Lyle Barons to a music festival? That seems like a very, very unfriendly Lyle environment. Guess what? You're right. But I'm a newly single man, fresh out of a relationship. And when you're newly single, that's when like everybody kind of hits you up because they know not just a not just a guy thing. This is an anybody thing. They know that like for like the first like two to four months, you're gonna say yes to thirty percent more things than you normally would. So it's like, hey, you down for this? Yes, yes. Let me let me keep my mind off this. Let's keep moving forward. Yes, yes, yes. So he thought right. So he hits me up. He's like, yeah, thinking of going. We take Amtrak there. Da, 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 da. And, and both me and Dustin are like grown. Like Dustin's like 41. I'm 30, turning 31 in a few weeks. So he's like 10 years older than me. It's cool. But so he, so we're thinking the same thing. We're not like, we're not going to like rough it out and share a bunk together. I'm not going to hit up the homie that lives in Philly and be like, hey, uh, can we get you some drinks and like we sleep on your couch? Like, no, that's some dusty shit. So we're talking about going. And we're like, we start doing the, the calculations and it's like, okay, okay. Uh, a ticket for one night is $87, but with a $32 service fee. All right, two night pass is $150 and blah, 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 blah. So we're like, we're like okay, we go for two days or one day. Tickets are like damn near $200, 200 plus dollars, $150, give or take. Then we start looking up Amtrak and... Amtrak is like, yeah, yeah, we know you niggas want to go to Made in America. Well, that'll be one fifty for a ticket. It's like fuck. And like, I think the cheapest ticket ticket uh, there was like a hundred dollars, leaving in like some odd time. And then even hotel tonight, which I love hotel tonight because I'm on there and I, I got my perks and I got a I got shit saved up in my wallet. That shit is like two fifty. That shit is like three hundred dollars for like a hotel, or else you like you fucking stay in like Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is like, what's the point of that? You want to you want to be nearby. So we're looking all that stuff up, and then we're like, hey, okay, we do an Airbnb for like one fifty between the two of us. We each get our own room, and we're like, okay, okay, okay. And then it's like, and we're, we're like talking ourselves into it, like, cause you know, like unless it's like the Four Seasons or some shit that like you know. Pro someplace pro sports teams stay at this like you know twelve hundred dollars a night like Philly hotels aren't like that amazing like you're not gonna get anything you couldn't get we're, we're steady talking ourselves into it and then we tally it up and we're like okay it's five hundred dollars round trip concert tickets and lodging and then I'm like all right but we gotta calculate what food is and staying out there. And and all that because I told him like like look it's a few artists like I'm down to see but it's nobody there where I'm like I'm just dying to see them 
And on top of that, it's like, I know you don't want to live at that festival. He's like, oh, hell, hell no. I want to do some sightseeing and all that shit. And then, you know, come and go as I please. And I'm like, exactly. So we do that. Like, well, our Philly cheesesteaks, so even though Philly cheesesteaks aren't like amazing. I've never been to Philly. I've never had an actual Philly cheesesteak. But it's like, it's steak, it's peppers, bread, and some mayo or mustard or whatever. Like, it, it, it's not amazing. It's, it, it, it's not a burrito. It's not, and that's not me being from California. I'm not saying, it's not poke, you know? It's not some meat and some bread and some cheese. Woohoo, nigga. Some onions. So it's like, we do all that. And I'm like, okay, so between that food and Dustin's not drinking right now, but so even without alcohol and me, I am drinking. So all that, it's going to be like about $1,200 for two days. And then Dustin was like, yeah. I'm like, Dustin's like, fuck it. I'm out. I'm out. I fold. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. And then later, Dustin calls me up five minutes later and he's like, well, you know, I'm not drinking now. So like I could rent a car and we could do a 24 hour trip. And I'm like, I'm not saying no, but are you really trying to go to LaGuardia, get the little $75 rental for the day, drive out to Philly, find parking, get into whatever we get into. We meet some girls out there. Like we both got homies out there. We link up with them. Are you telling me you're down to go back that night? Are you telling me you're down to sleep in the car? Like, oh, what exactly is going on? He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, that, that ain't it. That ain't it. Fuck it. We'll, we'll do something out here. And all like that, I'm like, why the fuck? Like, like what, are we, what are we living in New York for? What, what are we doing with this fucking overpriced rent and bullshit for? Like, you know, what the fuck is this all for? Like, are we that bored where we just need to, like, where it's like, yeah, we got to switch up. Yeah, let's do this. All right, this is different. Let's switch up. Let's switch up. There are way more people trying to go. I mean, with the exception of this weekend, there are way more people trying to go from Philly to New York than there are from New York to Philly. Like, there are people that are, like, actually, like, taking a year, saving up, and, like, really figuring their life out so they can move from Philly to New, to New York. You don't have to. You don't have to do that if you're trying to go from New York to Philly. In fact, like the city of Philadelphia will actually uh, pay your rent in the first two months if you're coming from New York. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jokes. Jokes. Look at me. I haven't even been to Philly yet, and I'm already talking shit about it. It's funny. Another thing was dust because you know, like I, I, I'm somebody where I go. What's the worst case scenario that can happen with everything? And I'm like, all right, let's say we go out to Philly, and it's like. $1,200 easily, us just being out there. Oh, and then, you know what? You know what? Let's bring up to $1,400 because we're going to see some merch that we like. We're going to see some fly t-shirts. And we're like, no, I fuck with that. Let me do that. And then there are going to be some bullshit. We're like, it's $5. It's like 80 cents a minute to charge your phone. I don't know. I'm just thinking of some like bullshit way that they're just going to try to try to get money out your pocket. But anyways, Dustin was like, was like, oh yeah. By the way, just so you know, bro, uh, don't fight in Philly because that's like they really can fight out there. Like they're they're like really there's like a big uh, everybody was like rest everybody wrestled in high school out there. They're, they're like in the boxing. That is not the place to fucking fight. Like I, I'll fight in fucking New York. I'll fight in the Bronx before I fight in Philly. <laughs> it's just like what what he said more or less, and. 
I, I run a scenario like that in my head, and I'm like, all right, we're out in Philadelphia. Like, I, I'm not drinking a ton, you know, but, you know, I'll, I'll have a few. You're you're alert. You're ready because you want your health and fitness shit. There's a scenario in which niggas try us. Because we're still young enough where we are triable. And there's a, there's a scenario in which, like, you know, like, we're tired of waiting, da-da-da, we're upset. And I'm not trying to deal with because I'm just thinking, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm like, what's the best thing that could happen out there? Because imagine, like, you imagine, like, spending $1,200 to go out to, to go out to some, like, music festival and stay the night in a city, in, like, a, a major American city, but that still, like, ain't got shit on the American city that you live in. And just imagine dealing with all that bullshit. It's not fucking worth it. It's not fucking worth it. So yeah, we called it. We're gonna we're gonna do some shit this weekend in in Manhattan, obviously. Ugh. But yeah, man, that's that, you gotta go to you gotta do shit like this while you're young. You gotta go to concerts while you're young. You gotta travel while you're young. Cause like the older the older you get, you're just like I'm not doing this shit. I never went to like a young people music festival in my twenties. I was always like on the road doing stand up or going between the Bay Area and LA. So like I never I never did the shit that a lot of people my age have gotten to do because I was dedicated to my craft. We see how the fuck that worked out. <laughs> but anyways, um. You gotta do the shit while you're young. Cause it was funny, like we we're looking at ticket options, and he was like, shit, I'm old. Let me look at VIP. Fuck, that's way too expensive. Cause it was like $750 for VIP. And it's like, all right, that's that's like too damn like that's like getting into like fucking rent territory for like uh a music festival. Let me uh let me actually pull up and see. I want to like tell you guys everything that uh, the the VIP ticket option comes with. Okay, VIP pass. VIP. Okay, two day VIP pass. Seven fifty. Seven fifty with a seventy nine dollar and eighty five cents fee, and I think the Sunday VIP VIP pass is three seventy five. Uh, oh, and there's no uh, VIP pass for Saturday. Okay, so two day VIP pass. VIP viewing deck adjacent to Made America's main Rocky stage, air-conditioned VIP lounge with comfortable seating, premium cash bar and signature douce, cocktails in the VIP lounge. Okay, Jay-Z, sell your liquor to us. Selection of food concessions for purchase within the VIP lounge, complimentary Wi-Fi charging stations, photo opportunities in the VIP lounge, air-conditioned flushable toy. This is like regular shit. It's like... By the way, Duce is like a really good cognac. Shout out my barber. Shout out my former barber, uh, Nasir at Supreme Blends in Oakland, California. I remember uh, my final haircut. He had a bottle of Duce, and it is fucking delicious. I also had Duce at the bachelor party in Vegas. Really good. But anyways, let's shit on this for a second. So $7.50 and no open. You should get an open bar for $7.50. You should get an open bar. 
liquor is what like i understand if if, if, it, if we're talking wine champagne like good champagne like ace of spades or or, or just some for, or like moet like like good champagne i understand like like quality wine but the, the fucking tos you, you you niggas can go to costco for 750 like what the fuck Wi-Fi. You're bragging about Wi-Fi? Piece of shit. Like, you should be taking pictures instead of like, po like, post the shit later. Um, if you're in the VIP area, like, nobody's getting lost. Like, you're not gonna have a "We lost Ashley" moment. You're not gonna have that. Um, yeah, premium cash. I fucking hate premium cash bar. What the fuck? I know, like, they're trying to say like premium liquor, but get the fuck out of here. Uh, complimentary Wi-Fi. Oh, you don't have to pay for it. How nice. VIP standing area is located in the front of the main stage. I mean, okay, that's okay. You, you get to get close. That's something. Um, this is the shit to got. Selection of food concessions for purpose within the VIP lounge. You gotta have some complimentary finger food. Like, you... Come on, man! Give back to the community of Philly and have like have somebody just make a bunch of chicken wings or some shit. You know, have somebody like you know how cheap French fries are. You know how cheap sliders are. You can't just have like have some free food. Air conditioned flushable restrooms. Oh my god! You mean my caca and pee pee actually flushes? How amazing! Oh, get the fuck out of here. Da -da. Uh, okay. Dedicate a fast lane VIP entrance. That, okay, that should be a given. Here's the thing that got me. Here's the thing that got me. Um, photo opportunities in the VIP lounge. So, so photo opportunities. Like, oh, I get to be seen. Do do I get the background? Do, I am so lucky. Oh, I want an opportunity to have my photo here. Get the fuck out of here. That is like. They're like meet and greets that aren't even that expensive. And a meet and greet is like, uh, as an artist, I'm nowhere near like the level of famous where anybody would want a meet and greet with me. But a meet and greet sounds like stressful as shit. I mean, for like, I mean, like I, I realize like the artist is getting extra money or whatever. But it's like, like for me, I put myself in that position and I'm like, okay, like I'm sitting around worried about my set, thinking about acoustics and whatever. Cause like the meet and greets like take place in like, you know, actual theater. So I'm performing in a theater, worried about the acoustics, getting my set right. And then I'm having, you know, somebody maybe crying. Probably not. I don't feel like, even if I was famous, I don't feel like the type of nigga anybody would cry over meeting me. Like, <laughs> like yo, you be saying that real shit. <laughs> like, oh, thank you very much. I do. <laughs> it's, but it's like okay you have that situation where it's like it, you have somebody that's like a little weird about your shit somebody that kind of feels like they know you especially if you have a podcast like you put a lot of like personal information that you forget you say so it's like somebody's just like fawning over you and you're like oh, well, okay thank you and then you got to go out and perform like that's i don't know it feels kind of difficult not not even like like Cause it's like I do like to be like in a certain kind of space. Meet, you know what's funny? I saw a meet and greet for a comedy show, and like the comedy show was like ten bucks. 
and the meet and greet was like 2025. 20, and like I saw the lineup, I'm like, why the fuck is there a meet and greet for this shit? Because comics, like, especially a show like that, and I'm not shitting on like any comedian doing a meet and greet. Like, but I, I again, I feel like if you're gonna be doing a meet and greet, you need to be doing like a Fox Theater type venue. This was, this was like for some like regular like bar show. I'm like, who do these niggas think they are? Because the truth is, like, comics will like hang out towards the edge of the show. Even if they have a bad set or a mediocre set, because there's like one, uh, you want to you comps just want to hear a good set. Like that's easy. Like oh yeah, I need that approval. The other, the main reason the reason I do this is for more so for more uh, Instagram social media followers. Like yeah yeah, follow me, follow me, fuck with me. Another thing is you might get some ass. You go to a comedy show. You see niggas hanging behind the bar. That's like what they're hoping for. The other is, and this is when I've hung out, especially like when I've done like a, a weeknight at Cobbs or something like that. I've hung around because sometimes that's when the private show opportunities could come from. That's where, hey, hey, I'm actually a bar owner. Yeah, I'm like, take a, like how much would you book for a Christmas party? Like, that's when that shit could come through. Anyways, let's go in. Let the games begin. I don't know. Fuck it. Let's go. Thank you for tuning in to the season three finale of the Let's Unpack That podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Barrens. Today, we will be unpacking rapper biopics and hip-hop documentaries and some rapper biopics and hip-hop documentaries that I'd like to see, that I, that I think would be uh, very entertaining. This is going to be a real fun episode. Shout out to all the listeners that came through for season three. Shout out California without a given. Thank you, Bay Area. Thank you, Sacramento. Thank you, LA. Thank you, San Joaquin Valley. Shout out Ohio for coming through. Shout out Seattle for coming through. And shout out Brazil for coming through. I, I think I know what episodes you niggas like. <laughs> Truly appreciate you guys for coming through. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Enjoy your week. Be well. I'll see you in a few weeks. It's difficult for us to get good hip-hop biopics for two reasons. Because there's only two good rapper biopics. One, obviously, being straight out of Compton and the other being 8 Mile. And 8 Mile takes a lot of dramatic liberties in terms of staying true to Eminem's life. Like, it's really, like, stuff kind of loosely based around Eminem's life, like the rap battles and being, like, a white dude doing hip-hop in the 90s. Which, now, looking back, it's kind of like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. They wouldn't let you... They wouldn't let you do your poems attacking them. Oh, I'm so sorry for you, Mr. White Man. <laughs> but there's two reasons why we don't often get good hip-hop biopics. One, they don't want to ruin their legacy by making them human. Straight out of Compton, for example, which is actually a good one. But straight out of Compton, you have a situation where we know Dre's alcoholism and violence against women but it never is seen in the movie and the story was about the group and not dre was so i do understand but they skipped over him going to jail and getting shot like it was nothing 
You mean we can see Ice Cube riding Friday on an old Macintosh, but we can't see Andre Young being the monster that he once was? You got knocked the fuck out. Ha ha ha. Ooh, this is going to be a good movie. <laughs> I'm almost done with my movie, baby. <laughs> Wait, that's what you show us? <laughs> During their post-NWA lives? And if you're Dre, you obviously want to skip it for the sake of your image. And you know it's going to get talked about anyway. So it's like, well, why the fuck? What I want to put that on screen, like actually, I want to make some shit. That, like I'm actually in control of what I make. Like I actually want to make some shit. I want to see. I don't want to be thinking about all the bad shit I did in my life. So like I get it if you're Dre, you know, and you also want to be able to sell more headphones, and you don't want like people writing pieces about you, which they're gonna do anyways. But if we don't see these guys acting out parts of their music at points in the movie, it's a letdown. I don't want to see these niggas be superheroes. But like, obviously, the Tupac biopic was bad on every level from the acting, the directing, the dialogue, the wardrobe and set pieces like that shit did not look like the 90s. I remember the 90s and that was not that. That looked like a 90s themed party where it's like, all right, we're going to dress up like that. And everybody like tries to find some clothes and the movie fucking looked like West Coast Black Halloween but with that, they made like a, a, a lifetime slash Wikipedia page. Like, all right, then this happened in Pac's life. Like, I really felt felt like it was like a fucking school report. Like, it, like that looked like me in like ninth grade trying to write screenplays. And then like I just go to Wikipedia to try to instead of doing like actual research and talking to people. But like we, we didn't get to see Pac, you know, being out of control like he had known to be. Same thing with the 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 Notorious movie. Biggie had his issues too. And let me say, I don't think the worst thing you've ever done in your life needs to be depicted on screen. I, I also don't believe the worst thing you've ever done in your life defines you. I'm not one of those people, you know, I'm not about cancel culture and all that shit. But you can't make the biopic juicy. You can't make it Dear Mama. You can't make it express yourself. That can't be the movie. You gotta show... The bitches ain't shit side of them. You got to show the give me the loot side of them. Get Richard Die Trying actually looked good. It was written by my guy, Terrence Winter, who wrote on The Sopranos. He created Boardwalk Empire. And he uh he wrote the screenplay for Wolf on Wall Street. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like, if you just look at it. And in the movie, 50 seems like a laid-back, ambitious guy. And then... We see his online persona, and that shows us this guy's a fucking pain in the ass. And I see why he had a lot of problems throughout his life. I saw this meme that said, uh, it was like a picture of 50 Cent, and it says something like, every day this nigga Curtis reminds us why he got shot nine times. And they make 50 look like a fucking, like, they don't look like a good guy. Like, yeah, you know, I sell some drugs, but I do music. I, I want to do good. <laughs> what the fuck is this bullshit? Which brings me to the other reason rap biopics aren't good. They're not made by great filmmakers. Or they're in the wrong hands. Which I kind of think Get Rich or Die Trying was, but that, that's another story. Let's look at the two good ones. Eight Mile Straight Out of Compton. We have Eight Mile, written by the guy that wrote The Fighter and, and uh, Joker. And then Straight Out of Compton. F. Gary Gray, good director. 
You know, F. Gary Gray, you know, he, he, he made real good popcorn movies that always gave us a little something extra Friday, the Italian job, set it off. He's not Spike Lee. He's not Ryan Coogler with Jordan Peele. But he always gives us a little something extra to chew on with the entertainment. Not like a message, but just like, oh, this is this is this is like a movie that's like has uh, some some cinema moments. All Eyes on Me was directed by Benny Boom. By Benny Benny fucking Boom does a Tupac movie. And look, plenty of great directors started off their career doing music videos. Antoine Fuqua for once. Spike Lee actually was doing music videos before he um before she's gotta have it. And I don't want to do the thing where like I'm throwing a black man under the bus because he made a bad movie and all that. But Tupac's life story should have been in the hands of a more prominent director. We'll get more into that later and how I think the Tupac movie should have gone. But like Notorious as well, for example, Notorious was directed by the guy that made Soul Food and Men of Honor. And Men of Honor, if you don't know, I've, I, of course, have seen Men of Honor. Uh, Men of Honor is a movie with uh, where Robert De Niro plays a very racist uh, Marine sergeant. And Cuba Gooding Jr. plays like, you know, the first black diver. And is Robert is Robert De Niro doing like a, a really bad southern accent? I think he's like going back to his uh to his Cape Fear voice. And then <laughs> Cuba's doing that. I am a Navy man, sir. Yes, I am. And then he's like De Niro's just fucking torturing him. It's like, what? Why the fuck are we doing this? Anyways. Those movies are very, not after school special, but they're like the type of spicy movie church folks will go out to see. Like there'll be a scene where somebody's having like some bullshit wall sex with no nudity and your goofy grandma goes, well, that was quite risque. <laughs> but, the but the church folk will still watch it because... This is about five to seven years before Tyler Perry makes melodramatic movie mixtapes. But the point is that guy shouldn't be making a movie about the man that made 10, ten Crack Commandments. That shouldn't be happening. That's where they fuck up. Rap biopics are destined to fail between rappers or their estates wanting them to look like Jesus. Hollywood studios not knowing shit about black people or the hood. And having somebody make the movie that is either underqualified or like that's just not the right word. Like the guy that made uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, like he's a decent director, but I mean, he shouldn't be doing Jim Sheridan. I can't remember his name, but he should. He, he shouldn't be doing Get Rich or Die Trying. So here's some movies that I think should get made hip hop biopics. Death Row Records. And I don't even want to see the Death Row story as a movie. I know after Straight Outta Compton, a bunch of people were like getting on Twitter like, man, man, I want more like West Coast nostalgia. Like, do that. And then let's do the Dog Pound movie. Like, let's... Here's what it should be. Because we've had so many YouTube interviews. It's like, give us the movie. But then, but then a part of me kind of feels like I know the story up and down and there's no way they can recreate all the interviews, especially because, like, we're at the point where, like, Vlad or the dialogue, you know, like, they're damn near at the point where they're, like, running out of people 
that are like still alive or willing to talk about that time. Like it's it's to the point where it's like they might as well fucking interview the janitorial at Cam M Studios. But a Death Row series, this an this an ensemble piece with multiple storylines, I think will be really good. Because in some ways, the artists aren't even the most interesting story from a cinematic standpoint. Like, I'd like to see, like, you know, Malik Lee, who was on, who was the bodyguard that uh, that murdered the dude that was uh, threatening Stoop's life that had, and him and Snoop were on trial together for murder. I mean, uh, uh, the people that worked around the artists, the undercover agents, the off-duty cops, the gang members. There's so many other angles that that would be a fun watch. And then if you tie in the Rampart scandal and how that, that ties into Death Row and the Compton gang, gang wars and all that, I like it as being kind of like Boardwalk Empire. You, you can give us some Harry O stuff at the beginning. Like, if you give me, like, five to seven seasons of that, even four seasons, I'm like, hey, this is, this is kind of fun. You don't try to stretch it out. Like, you just let it be what it is and you, and you let the story end when it should end. Like, I'd be into that. Nipsey Hustle. I, I feel like I'm showing my LA Southern California bias right now, but Nipsey Hustle could be good if they're honest. There also needs to be some time pass. That's like one problem with hip hop biopics is like that should have. Cause like Notorious came out like probably like, I don't know, like 11 years since Biggie had been dead. Like that, that's too soon, but Nipsey Hustle biopic that could be good if they're honest. There's a lot of stuff he talked about in interviews that was just so visual the way he described it. I mean, obviously, like he's, you know, was a great artist and a good uh, storyteller in interviews. But the stuff he talked about, like that could play well on screen, you know, like like we see like Nip getting jumped in, you know, that there's this interview where he's saying like how you're going to have to fight either way when you leave the house. You might as well be in a gang like I'm paraphrasing, but like shit, that'd be that'd be interesting to see, like, you know him going to Africa as a teenager, him going to jail, him taking the bus and doing the music program, him digging up the safe and uh, using the blow dryer on the money, you know, the the stuff with him in the shopping center and selling the shirts and police raiding the marathon store. Like that's, I'd be there for that. But again, it's gotta be honest because I can envision a Nipsey Hussle biopic in the wrong hands where the Rolling 60s sequence is him getting put on He's in a fight with some bloods, but the bloods did something really bad. So we're automatically on his side. And then there's like a scene where he's almost kind of like this. Not like a white savior movie, but it almost kind of turns into like a, a crip savior movie where it's like, hey, nigga, we got we got a barbecue and help these old ladies with their groceries. Let's help the kids read books. And not saying that that shit didn't happen, but where it's like, all right, you you gloss over like all the other the actual street shit. And the way that it's interesting and the way it feels more authentic is to depict something where you go, wow, that's fucked up. He did that. Because that's just a part of that's just as much a part of his life as the great stuff he did and, and all all of his brilliance. Like you got you, you got to show the full scope. And again, like I don't need to see the worst thing he's ever did in his life on screen. And I don't think the worst thing he ever did defines him. But that's that's the movie I'd like to see. Jay-Z. 
Not his entire life story. I don't want to see Jay-Z's entire life story. But the making of Reasonable Doubt, Rockefeller Records, Jay is a teenager, Dame, Biggs. I think that'd be interesting. Like, I don't... I think if there's, like, a scenario in which somebody else makes it and Jay's just so much of a public figure, somebody else can make a movie about him. But that's never going to happen. And I think Jay would make himself look like Michael on season four of The Wire, where he's always been a man amongst boys his entire life. And he's, he's too famous and iconic for the movie to be any good if he did it. But there's stuff that make it interesting. And I really, and like I said, I really just want Jay up until Reasonable Doubt. I don't need, I don't need his biopic going beyond 1996. Because the most interesting stuff to me from a cinematic lens with Sean Carter is the pre-fame stuff. Jay-Z shot his brother over some jewelry when he was like 12 years old. It was like his brother stole his chains and he shot him. He rapped about it on um on the In My Lifetime. And that's something conspiracy coons loved to bring up when the whole Illuminati talk began, which was around Blueprint 3 and him naming his daughter Blue Ivy and the Run This Town imagery. Like they're like, okay, okay, you see that shit in the Run This Town video? Blue Ivy, well, it really means this. So I'm not saying he's devil worshiping, but if you connect that, you know. <laughs> Between American Gangster and Blueprint 3 was probably the worst Jay-Z's approval rating has been. Jay-Z's public approval rating. Because that's when YouTube conspiracy videos really started. And then you had the Haven and Jazz O uh, were on those like, kind of like Vlad-esque mixtape type of videos, like talking shit about him. Be like, well, this is the type of nigga Jay-Z really is. You know what's funny? There's a video uh, where like Jazz O said some shit about Jay. Like, I I, I don't know if he was like, uh, he called him gay or like, he, he said something. And then <laughs> there's a video of Jazz O clarifying. Like, he's like, you know, I'm still not cool with him, but I just want to clear up that that's not the case. And I'm like, Jay-Z really sent some niggas to Jazz O. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But but that that time is something that would be interesting on screen. You know, Jay's days hustling, his relationship with Jazzo, the raid he almost got picked up on and where he would have gotten like 30 years but he managed to avoid it, him going legit. Him 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 going legit. Like I'd like to see that. And I know they don't make movies like this anymore. But I'd really like to see this story as having a tone of New Jersey Drive meets Payton Fool. Because this is a movie that'd be really, really good in the right hands, especially if it was if it reflects the attitude in the music. And I like like and this is like the story I like because we have all these songs and coy interviews about guys talking, turning drug money. To record label money, but we've never we've never gotten a good movie about it. We got all this like, oh yeah, we use drug money to fund the music and we launder the money. We got all that stuff, all the shits implied, but never said. But we've never seen a movie about how it's actually done and when it's successfully done, and the hiccups that start from going from um from going from the streets to legit. Because we see these things in like movies, like it'll be like um. You know, like like Breaking Bad, they get the car wash, 
uh, on the wire. They have the the funeral home and strip club on the Sopranos. Like the mo- the mafia has been around for so long, it's like the property is just like kind of like passed down from from Don and Capo and Soldier to the next one, and they they already have a system. <clears throat> Excuse me, but like we never see how the shit's done, and I think like that even if you make it like not where it's like totally about Jay and those guys, but just that time in the 80s where everybody's selling dope and some of the stuff that, that Jay went through. And I actually got his book Decoded, it where he's breaking down uh, lyrics. It's Decoded, his, uh, it's like this coffee table book, this kind of like uh, a rap genius cheat sheet for like, here's what I mean in these lyrics. And then he tells stories to go with, with some of the lyrics. And I remember like like reading that. I got to find that book again. But I remember reading that and just being like, man, like, a, it's like pre-fame shit. Like, I'd like to see a movie on that. So those are the rap biopics I'd like to see. And I know some of you are listening to this going, what about the South? What about Master P? Man, this nigga Lyle's so biased. Here's the thing. For me, making history isn't worthy of a biopic. Doing like great things doesn't mean that I necessarily want to see that in movie format. You got to have a unique story. There's got to be some sort of hook to it. Because I really don't want a Wikipedia page like is what we got with uh, All Eyes on Me. I want an actual movie, an actual story, conflict, not just scenes of shit happening. Like Master P has led an interesting life. But once you get past the stuff with him in Richmond, drug dealing, running the record store, and getting the major distribution deal, it's kind of like a lesson for his gump. P makes chips. Now P gets a TV show. Now we see P in a meeting with some white men. Now Master P goes to Suge Knight to get Snoop Dogg's rights. I don't know. Actually, maybe I just talked myself into a Master P biopic. Maybe I maybe I should take that one back. But, but it's, like, it's like with Jay-Z, for example. Like, I don't want... <coughs> I don't want to see like, oh, this is Jay discovering Kanye. Now this is Jay doing fucking this. You know, they, there's a sketch where they made fun of that on, uh, on Saturday Night Live where they had J.K. Simmons playing Nas. No, it was basically like two white guys doing the, the Jay-Z and Nas biopic. <laughs> oh my God. It's, you know, a part of me like is like, you know, that shit was kind of funny. Then another part of me is like, so, 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 so just how you going to do our culture? You make fun of us like that and not, and, and not have black representation on the show? Man, fuck y'all. Even though like I was kind of like, yeah, this shit's kind of funny. Hip-hop documentaries. Cutie 3. I remember the Cutie 3 documentaries. I would go to uh, the record store Rasputin's in Berkeley in San Francisco, and I would see like like uh, the Cutie 3 beef documentaries. And Cutie 3 is the first time I remember seeing an actual hip-hop documentary. I did see Tupac Resurrection before that, but I don't really consider Tupac Resurrection a hip-hop documentary. I consider it more like a documentary about a, you know, a like a top five, top 10 legacy artist, like like music icon and uh, a man during a certain time. But I don't really, you know, it's not about the genre. 
but I remember seeing those documentaries and, and get, getting like the, the, the beef documentaries he did and the, the, the art of rhyme, the art of freestyle and shit like that. Cause they were like under $20 and some shit to put on. And being 15 years old, seeing the trailer of like 50 and Ja, K-Solo Solo taking the lie detector test, it was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm here for this. It looked edgy as a 13-year-old. And then you watch it with the instrumental playing, and you're like, oh, okay, this, this lie detector test ain't shit. I thought he was like in a police interrogation room with some shit. Like, okay. QD3 was really trying to milk those for everything it was worth. Some of that stuff is a little archaic looking back, but it was great as a teenager to experience. Here are my favorite hip-hop documentaries. And as I did the research, I realized I haven't seen enough. There's like a good number of hip-hop documentaries where I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't see that one. So the first one, and this is my bias right here, Fade to Black. Jay-Z's my favorite rapper, so it's like, come on. But that, like, Fade to Black is so damn motivating, like, when, especially, like, as a comedian, like, there was, like, when I started doing stand-up, I would watch that just to get, like, a, some inspiration, especially, like, when I was bombing all over the place, like, I fucking love that. And then you get this, like, I like it because you, you get an idea of how people are, like, you have the scene where Kanye's playing the Lucifer beat, and then he's... Kanye's, like, presenting the beat, and he's like, you know, I look at this shit as, like, a movie, you know, like, a story, you know, it's like, and then somebody says something, and then Kanye stops talking, and Jay turns to whoever was talking and doing something, and then Jay, like the fucking godfather, looks back at Kanye, and he says, go ahead, and then Kanye's like, no, like I was saying, and then everybody starts laughing, like, yeah, look at this little, look at this little goofy producer nigga from the suburbs and his polo fucking <laughs> fucking he stopped talking instantly and, and they were just kind of looking at him like he was like a midwest pussy and they're like these like new york niggas with their dicks out like it's really fucking it's like you get an idea of like how much um how much kanye stood out at rockefeller when you watch that scene but then like the beat is fire that it's fucking beautiful. And then you, you get the scene with um with Timbaland. Cause it's fun because it's like you hear the music and it's great, but you wonder how these studio sessions are and like how they relate to people. And then you have you have Timbo playing like a beat that ends up going to Ludacris and that's some stuff that I think ended up going to Missy Elliott. And, and you see, like, Jay bobbing his head, and then he plays the dirt off your shoulder, and then he's just, like, in it, and he's like, okay, yeah. And then Tim is, Timbo's feeling himself. He's like, you get that? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And then Jay's, like, eating a banana. He's like, ha, ah, ah. ha. And then he, like, walks off, and Jay does a laugh, and then he immediately stops doing the laugh. And it's like, look at Jay-Z doing his businessman laugh. He don't want to laugh at Tim's shit. He might even find Timbaland a little bit annoying. But it's like, ah, fuck it, okay. And then you see Jay-Z with Pharrell, and Pharrell's doing his, like, fucking peaceful, like, <laughs> looking like he just walked out the spa. So this concept, I have this, this track. And you just so, and you're like, okay, like, probably between uh, Kanye, Timbaland, and for, I don't think we get to see Just Blaze in the movie working on anything. But between Kanye, Timbaland, Pharrell, Jay relates the most to Pharrell, which makes sense because it's like, look, man, like Pharrell been had bitches. Like, it makes sense. He like, and he's 
it's like a lot more dialed down than uh than Timbo and, and Ye. But yeah, yeah, you get the performances. That's that's you know fade to black. Come on, Dave Chappelle's Block Party, which is more of a concert documentary than a hip hop doc, but it's still great. And this is like why we really need to respect Dave Chappelle. Because when a comic is hot, like when he's hot, because we kind of get like a really, really major hot black comedian, like probably like once every decade. Like it was, and I don't know if we're going to get them the same now, like the way that online shit is. But we had Kevin Hart, we had Dave Chappelle. Obviously, we had Pryor and Eddie Murphy, and then just like, you know, hey, we got uh, Martin Lawrence, we got Chris Tucker. Like, in the 90s, we, we had a little bit more variety. But my point is, when, when that happens, is, you know, you get the kit. Like, the, you get the kit, as Chris Rock said that Dave Chappelle told him, where it's like, okay, you get to do the TV show you want, you get to do the movie you want. <coughs> and Dave Chappelle could have easily done some movie where he made like 20 million dollars and it's a movie was you know some straight man that we would have forgot about like you know he does a movie like tommy lee jones or, or i don't know uh, or matthew mcconaughey or some shit i'm trying to think who he the bad i'm trying to think of like the mediocre movie that dave Chappelle would have made in like 2004 or 2005 if he did not end up going to africa but my point is dave ends up Dave could have done that movie, but instead he was like, no, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna make a stand-up special and I'm going to do this documentary, a concert documentary where I get a marching band from my, t- from my hometown where, where I live and I'm going to get these artists that otherwise mainstream critics and people like that probably would not see, you know? I mean, obviously Kanye and, you know, the Fugees and Lauren, but it's like they're not necessarily going to see Talib and Mose and Dead Prez and, you know, I'm going to run up on them crackers in City Hall. Like they're not going to get that. But Dave was like, no, I'm going to do that. And for that, you know, we, we really got to tip our hats to Dave. But yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And because <clears throat> the movie in Dave Chappelle's Black Party, like that's not even really the type of rap music I was listening to at the time, with the exception of Kanye. And it's not even the type of music I listen to now. Like I don't, you know, I'm not a black star guy. I'm not a. The score was great, and I, I go back to the singles every now and then. But I'm, I'm not just sitting in the crib listening, you know, to the Fugees. But it made me like appreciate the music in in a certain sort of, of context, and yeah, it was just good. The show. And the show was uh, directed by Brian Robbins, who was the same man that gave us Hardball. Childhood classic, and Good Burger, another childhood classic. You know, I'm kind of curious about those white directors slash producers that are all over the place with the black projects that they do. Like, like I wonder if somebody's like, <laughs> give it to Brian. He he, he likes the nigger stuff. Like, <laughs> I, I I do wonder that. I do wonder about that. But the show is it's a fun, easy documentary, how you see like how rappers prepare for uh their their live concerts. I re- it's got a real soft spot with me because we get to see Biggie with his mom. And a lot of our Valletta Wallace footage is her talking to the 
is her talking into the camera about how Christopher was. And it's great to see them together, especially like as somebody like me and Biggie got that in common. Like we're both only children. We both from single parent households and we both got educator mothers. So just seeing them together and her talking about like how she is reacting to his stuff was like, I'm like I got a soft spot for that. And when I heard some of the things Christopher was saying, I said, no, you can't be serious. You know what's funny? <laughs> it's funny, like, if you ever met my mom, my mom is, like, shy as hell. And a lot of people are surprised that me and my mom are related because my mom is, like, so soft-spoken. And I am the way that I'm the way that I am. But there's certain moments where it's like, oh, yeah, we are definitely related. Weird, like when my mom will start cooning. Like, <laughs> I remember we were watching like, um, it was like a VH1 behind the music or like some piece about uh, Biggie. And it was a part where like, you know, she, she was like getting real emotional, tearing up. And like when Valletta Wallace like is in front of a camera, she will really work that fucking camera. And there's a scene where she's like, I will call the LAPD whenever I feel like it. Whenever I want to, I will ring them up until they bring the killers to justice. Until they bring my son's murder to justice, I will call them whenever I feel like it. Then there's a part where they talk about Lil' Kim. I saw the poster. He said, Christopher, who is this girl? What is she doing? And he said, Mom, that's my artist. I said, Christopher, put some clothes on your artist. <laughs> and then my mom, she starts going, I said, Christopher. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. <laughs> oh, and at that moment, I, I had a difficult time taking serious shit seriously. Ain't that just like a coon to blame his mama on that? <laughs> Uh, no, but I love seeing that. It's beautiful. I like the show is candid. The thing I hate about the QD3 productions, especially looking back, like Thug Angel, for example, is there's always a there's always like an instrumental in the background and like a tilted camera angle, which is very 90s MTV. Like, and when I'm watching something like Thug Angel, like I'm like. I feel like an episode of the real world or Beavis and Butthead is going to come on after. Like, what the fuck is this? There are some hip hop documentaries I would like to see that I feel like should, should get made. So this is basically me pretending that you're like an exec at a, a production company or Netflix. I'm just pitching shit. So here's some stuff I'd like to see. Jermaine Dupri and So So Deaf. I get to relive my childhood, the soundtracks that were made, Lil Bow Wow, JD, creating the first prominent rap label out the South. And nobody gets shot. It's nice and light. It's nice and easy. Like JD talks about his accomplishments. And that's like one of those things where like I, I feel like if we because Jermaine Dupree is one of those guys where he's never really gotten his flowers. And I feel like a, a so so deaf Jermaine Dupree documentary will have people going back, like 
yo, man, like, he really put it down. And, like, it, like, I can see, like, the memes on Twitter, like, man, this nigga gave us little Bow This nigga produced hits from Mariah Carey, Jay-Z, Lil Bow Wow, and he bagged Janet Jackson. And then there'll be, like, some little thing in the in the movie or, like, man, and he did this, whatever, you know. I like that. Other way. Oh, no. You know, by the way, I'd really like a No Limit documentary because I think like Master P has lived like every black man America's dream. Trapper, basketball player, rapper, all that shit. But there's a really, really good one on um, BET. You could like watch clips. You could watch it. I think you could watch it on YouTube, but in different segments. But it's they, they break down how uh, he got Snoop Dogg off of Death Row Records. Another very impressive thing. He actually got Snoop out of his contract. Um but yeah, that, that's there's already like a good thing out about that now. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't mind another one in a few years. Nipsey Hustle, obviously, and Marathon, and, and Marathon as well. I think we'll get this in a few years. I think we will get a Nip Nip documentary in a few years. Black Sam and Nip's estate have done a good job of not rushing to put out a tacky cash grab. And this sounds fucked up, but I think a lot of rappers' estates have learned from Tupac and Biggie's post-life uh, body of work. Their post, their posthumous shit. I said post-life all fucked up because I didn't want to fuck up saying posthumous. <laughs> and that's no shade to Afeni or Valletta Wallace because the music and the docs were going to come out regardless. So it was good that they got in front of it and got in control. And Afeni Shakur, I think she did a great job with his body of work. Even with the bad Eminem project and Pac's life. Because Pac's life had us like real Pac fans like, just give us the dated sound of beats and mix it. I could not take this like, you know, this, this weird 2005 beat with Pac's vocals on it and a Papoose feature. Like, what the fuck is this? But, you know, I think she did a good job. You know, she's not a music exec. And I think she ended up doing a great job with her son's legacy, all things considered. But I do think that, you know, somebody like uh, Nipsey's estate. And like, and that's that's another thing that I think was great about Nip having the, par the partnership with Atlantic Records is there's more control over the music. Because, like, if, you know, like, let's say Nipsey dies and, like, you know, gets killed in, like, 2001 or 1999 i think like all his music is like just getting rushed and put out where it, it's nice to see like some control in it but i do I, I do think we will get a nip album down the line but that's neither here nor there but yeah documentary would be good um a hip-hop fashion documentary my bad if i'm bouncing around all over the place i apologize i have some green tea Hip-hop fashion documentary, Sean John, Carl Kanai, FUBU, Fat Farm, and most importantly, Dapper Dan. I'd like to see that. Like the rise and fall of like the urban brand. And then what it was like for actual black fashion designers at that time where like a rapper could just like, where, where like rappers would just come out with fashion lines like every week. Like what was it like if you're a black fashion designer at that time? I think that'd be like another good nostalgia documentary, kind of like the so-so deaf one. Like, shit. like, let's look at these clothes and people talking about what went into them. 
Then I had this other idea for for a hip hop documentary. Blue collar hip hop. Or blue collar rap. I don't know what I want to call it, but it's kind of inspired by Atlanta. And I want to follow three different subjects in these different worlds of what I would consider the more blue collar hip hop. Because you have guys like Bishop Lamont, Stat Quo, Hot Rod. <laughs> Fucking Hot Rod. I think Hot Rod is like the only rapper from Phoenix that like I really know of. But anyways, like like you, these guys where we learned their name and never got an album. Because I wonder what's life like for the guy that got drafted and never played a game. Because it's basically like it's different in that in that type of situation where I'm using the basketball. I, I use the basketball analogy. But if you're because like if you're a guy where like let's say you got drafted in the second round and you know you you take the you take the photos for the team but you never ended up actually actually playing a game but it's like okay cool you had a decent career playing overseas and then you end up being like a, an assistant coach at some city college somewhere it's like all right cool but like you know the, the, nobody's like hating on you the same that they would with rap because it's like if on one hand, it's like, all right, people know you have a record deal. They you, they see you next to Dr. Dre or your or your Busta Rhymes as artists or you was you on Rough Riders or whoever. So they're like, okay, well, you still got some money. You still got some money, and they're hitting you up for these things. They're trying to rob you. Girls are trying to trap you. Whatever the fuck is going on. But then at the same time, you're like, yo, I don't got it like that. And then you also have other people trying to hate on you, trying to test you, and all that type of stuff. And it seems like the worst position to be in. Like, it, it'd almost be like, it'd be better for people to just not know that you're signed. I actually heard Vince Stables talk, talking about that in an interview where he was like, with Def Jam, like, y'all about to make my life hot if you put out a press release saying you signed me. He's, he's like, I ain't got no song out. I ain't got no EP. I ain't got no album. You're just making my life stressful. <laughs> so for the artists where there was hype around, around them, but they never got put out of I'd like to see that. Um, what happens to the guys that were so closely connected to legends? Like, what's the day-to-day -day like for guys like Lil C's, Junior Mafia, The Outlaws, Memphis Bleak, Charlie Baltimore, where their name is kind of synonymous with the legend, like with legends like Big Pac and Jay, but we never got a major debut album out of them. What's their day-to-day -day like? Then I'd like it to be somebody like Tech Nine, where and like I'm not a fan of Tech Nine's music; it's a little too weird for me. But him selling records and touring the way he has with no major label out of fucking Kansas City is very interesting and it's very inspiring. And then if you look at like Tech Nine's uh, discography, it's like what he puts out. Because I was like looking at it just as, as uh, my my little brief research before before the pod. And I'm like, okay, he basically puts out two albums like in years back to back. I think it takes one to two years off, probably like touring and working on the next thing and being with his family and living life. And I'm like, okay, so he's got to put out like a big volume of music consistently in order to like do the types of numbers that he's doing. Like, I'm just curious in like the mathematics and how, how all that works in like a, a kind of like rap stat nerd kind of way. 
Or even like Larry June, like like you know, having a career like he has. Because like Larry June is like one of those guys where <clears throat> you don't hear him on a lot of other people's records. He doesn't have a lot of features. I don't see him featured in other people's shit a lot. And he he also Larry June is also one of those types of artists where like I don't really there aren't like too many artists I like where I'm like, oh, this would be great with a Larry June feature. Cause he don't be rapping rapping like that, but he like makes like cool mood music. Another documentary I'd like to see. MF Doom. I'd enjoy an artsy documentary about him. And even though I make fun of his fan base, because his music is like too underground pretentious for my taste. And like a lot of the people, he has a lot of those uh, types of hip hop fans. Like MF Doom, Talib Kweli, Most Death. They have a lot of those hip hop fans where it's like, all right, you're not really a fan of hip hop. You're like more a fan of like appearing a certain kind of way. And like I'm, they, have, they have a lot of white fans and like... Uh, there's something in me naturally where I just make fun of black artists that have big white fan bases and not big white fan bases in the sense like, yeah, Drake has a lot of white fans, but he's got a lot of black and Asian and all types of fans. So does Jay-Z and all these other guys. But it's really funny to me how like, like Tupac has a lot of Mexican fans. Tup like Mexicans fucking love Tupac. I almost said Tupac loves Mexicans, which he, he did. Yeah, he worked with Johnny J. But anyways, MF Doom. <laughs> I like an MF Doom documentary because he's got an interesting story as a performer and a mysterious ending as a man. And I'd actually like it on PBS. If PBS did an MF Doom documentary, I think that'd actually kind of be fire. Because I saw the uh, the Miles the Miles Davis Birth of Cool documentary that PBS did, and it's really, really, really fucking good. And I think if they did MF Doom, like that'd be that'd be fun. The Tupac biopic and the Biggie biopic are the most noteworthy ones of us being disappointed. <laughs> I feel like this pod has kind of turned into me just. Like saying how much I really fucking hated Notorious and All Eyes on Me. And I'm not even going to get into to the bad acting and all the cliches. And you know what? Fuck it. Let's throw get, I don't like 50 Cent as much as I like Tupac and Biggie. But I do kind of want to throw in Get Rich or Die Trying as far as like all the cliches and all that shit goes and the bad acting. Notorious was actually supposed to be directed by Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day and the equalizer and i guess the issue was with biggie's mom and antoine because antoine Fuqua, antoine Fuqua said something along the lines of i wanted to make suicidal thoughts and they wanted me to make juicy and i'm like you know that's antoine Fuqua is actually a guy where i feel like he hasn't got i mean like training day is Probably his is definitely his signature movie, you know. But he hasn't. I feel like there's something like I, I, there's stuff I really like about Brooklyn's Finest, and I feel like he hasn't gotten that movie yet where it's like he could just shine and be great. Anyways, 
I, I would have liked to see him do the Biggie movie. He was also supposed to do American Gangster, and I'm like, man, I, I really like an American Gangster with a uh, with Fuqua and Denzel. And anyways, so here's how I wrote this a while back. I wrote this uh, right after I saw All Eyes on Me, and this is how I would have done the Tupac movie. Visualize it, like close your eyes and visualize this, if you will, and visualize this in the fashion. Uh, well, you know, what? I'm not going to tell you. Act one. Skip childhoods. Like, let's not let's not even do that. Start him in Baltimore doing theater, hanging at a rich kid's house party, and then and then him having to leave for California because his mom's his own dope. Because that's when his life really changed. Is when he had to head out west. Because if Tupac doesn't, because there's this, and it's not that like, oh, I don't think. You know, Tupac would have been famous, but if Tupac doesn't go out to California, I don't know if we get him in the same kind of way. I think Tupac kind of ends up becoming like a, I don't know, like like maybe like a community activist and like a less aggressive rapper. Like I, I just don't think he becomes what he ended up becoming. Show him getting kicked out of his aunt's house, being homeless, failing at selling drugs. And that affair he had with Layla Steinberg, the Jewish lady who let him live there as long as he gave her dick from time to time, as he said. And like, let's live in that. Let's fucking live in that. Let's not do that. Let's not do a montage. Let's not just do like we go from this scene to this scene. Let's stay with it. Let's let's show that relationship. Then the record deal, then digital underground and the tour. And him humping the dolls. But let's get through that. You know, let, let, let's have like one noteworthy uh tour scene, but let again, like let's live in that tour scene. Like let's live like one night on tour. I don't want to go, we're in this city, we're in this city, we're in this city. I'm making money. Let's like really go like, all right, what is it? Because like that's that was what was uh so good about straight out of Compton was like, yeah, they showed them on tour, but they're like, okay, here's an Here's the time the police tried to shut them down for uh, public obscenity. And then here's the time where uh, Easy or Rennie, where one of them was like fucking some girl in the room that they shouldn't have been fucking. And then Easy pulls out uh, the fucking automatic weapon. Like, let, let's have that. Like, let's have like one crazy night where of them on tour. Um, then let's move to the gunfight where the little kid got killed in Marin. Highlight that more. A lot of people said how that event changed Tupac. Because, I mean, people mentioned him seeing himself in Juice, which I also do want to see of. But let's really highlight that shooting and what it did to him. Because he did settle out of court with the family because they did hold him responsible somewhat, even though he didn't serve jail time. And holding somebody responsible is, you know, can be kind of loose. But that's something I'd like to see. For his story. Not that like I want to see a kid get killed, but you know, for, for the overall story of like what made Tupac Tupac. Second half of the movie. Tupac is seduced by fame. Because that's what this story is. It's, it's like a guy that I mean, I think that's the interesting Tupac biopic is him being a guy that is seduced by a mix of fame and tough guy shit. 
of alpha male, thug lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. He's a guy that's like, oh, I'm famous, I'm popping, but at the same time, there's like this other Black Panther side of me. How do I merge those two? But I'm also an artist. He's a guy that had a lot going on. I want to see him meet Haitian Jack and all those New York underworld crime figures. I want a scene where they're actually talking down to Pac like he's not shit and he puts up with it. I want to see a scene where like, yeah, nigga, I'm getting more money than you. Like, yeah, that rap money, I know that shit ain't shit, nigga. And like they, they're buying him a Rolex and stuff like that. Like, I want to see that scene where they're like really treating him like the little homie. I want to see Pop pulling Madonna and meeting Biggie. Have him like have him pull Madonna. Have a scene in, in the Biggie stuff, like really again, live in it. Have a scene where Tupac is giving him train fare. Have, have when, remember the, the oh, I hit him up, the, the, the begging bitches to let you sleep in the house. I want to see a scene where he's begging a chick to sleep with him. And I realize now, like in 2021 or like our present day society, like we can't just have some shit like that in a movie. Then like, cause there'd be like a thick piece like Tupac begging a woman to sleep with Biggie when she doesn't want to sleep with him. Let's re-examine the allegations that led to him going to prison. Like we, we can't just have that. Even though that's some shit he said that he said, I, rem I remember begging bitches to sleep with Big. Show that shit. Show the scene where he took a gun charge for Biggie and his crew at the hotel. Let's have that. Like, let's really have their relationship. Then let's have the night at the club with the rape accuser and, and the night at the hotel. Because the way they did it in the movie, I'm not even going to talk. It, it was bad. Then let's show him getting shot. Death threats of him at the hospital. Him getting sentenced. prison let's see the guards letting letting him know about stuff they read in his mail let's show the guards taking turns slapping him while saying keep your head up let's see the neo-nazi inmates using the n-word freely freely around him and then asking for autographs and let's show uh, to, to show that it's 1994 1995 let's show tupac talking about the oj case Let's show him talking about some current events. They said Tupac said he was in there with a the guy that uh that killed Yusuf Hawkins. Like that's like there's some, there's some shit in there. And, and no, I don't want any TK Kirkland scenes. I want to have a scene where he's doing the vibe interview with Kevin Powell. By the way, I hate and they did this in All Eyes of Me, and I don't like this in biopics. They even did it with Last King of Scotland, where I don't like when they use a journalist as a plot device like okay like this is because I, I look at it i look at it as kind of like lazy and you're kind of showing the journalist as like a narrator a little bit but i want the because he did that a uh, vibe interview where he was like naming a bunch of people that were involved in a shooting and a bunch of shit and some people were like, well, he was kind of dry snitching. Some people were like, no, he's not. Tupac would never. No, there's no way Tupac could say could dry snitch. Da, da, da. Anyways, I want a scene of the Vibe interview and a scene where he's saying he's sober and clear-headed. Then the next scene is him drinking uh, some prison moonshine. Him getting some alcohol from another inmate. To show that, like, you know, Tupac was human. He was... 
he had contradictions. He lied about shit. He said like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this and and you know, wasn't always truthful. And there were there was the public persona him and there was the real him. Then let's get to the scene of Shut Knight and bailing him out. But again, let's not go too fast. Let's live in it. Act three. The luxury of 90s LA. Let's show the gifts Shug gets Pac. And this is like an interesting thing to me that I'd like in the movie. Like Haitian Jack giving him gifts. Shug not giving him gifts. I don't know. There's a thing there. I don't necessarily want a montage because that is a thing that I think is overused in rap biopics and drug dealer movies. But I do like just show like mid 90s L.A. fly shit, BMWs, Monty, Monty Steakhouse, him going in and out of studios recording. I kind of want it to feel because I, I feel like the third act in the Tupac biopic should play like Wolf on Wall Street. Make it clear how paranoid Pac was. Make it clear how much Pac was drinking. Make it clear how much Pac was smoking. Show his ego getting bigger and bigger. Like, show him changing. Have a scene where he punches an engineer for for rewinding a tape too far and then laughing. Have a scene of Tupac and Cabo getting jumped in as a blood. I want to see all that. Have a scene uh, where he was supposed to be at the Million Man March, but instead he decided to go shopping on Melrose with Suge. And him and he just kind of brushes off the Million Man March. Cause that is the thing. Like you think like Million Man March, like Pac was Pac should have been there, like for you know who he was in that in that era. Then final 35, 45 minutes of the movie. And by the way, like I like this needs to be a fucking epic. Or it needs to be like a a, a, a mini series on HBO. But I feel Netflix would fuck it up. Final 45 minutes of the movie, they have a bet on who can get to Las Vegas first. So everybody's speeding from L.A. to Vegas and then show the final 24 hours of his life and you know the rest. And the final scene is when his final words are fuck you to the responding police officer and then cut to black, roll credits with no music. Because the thing that's on the nose is like, oh, it's the end of the movie. Let's play Hail Mary because it's spooky. And you hear like the church bells and all that. Or it's to play, um, you know, I mean, Stand Through My Rear View worked great for Tupac Resurrection, but I, I you know, it's eh, not the same. And by the way, also in the Tupac biopic, I don't want to hear a bunch of Pac's music in the movie. Like, obviously, we need to hear it. But you know what I want to hear? What I want to hear is the music that Pac was listening to at the time. And the, and the music that was just popular in the country, the music that was popular for a 90s nigga, a black man in his 20s and the 90s. Like, that, that's the type of shit I want to hear. What do you think? What do you think? Would you watch that? I think that's a really good fucking movie. I think that's a really good movie. Let me know what you think. Please let me know what you think. Also, I got to say this. Um... The thing where I think they go wrong with casting 
in hip hop biopics is they're either too green or they're too actorish. Like I think about Anthony Mack because it's funny. Like I look at the movie Notorious and I'm like, okay, Biggie was played by not even actor, just like a guy that's like a mixtape rapper, but kind of resembled Big. And it's like, like he's not a fucking actor. And like I don't want to say the guy was like just god awful, but I mean, you know, he he, he wasn't good. It wasn't like straight out of Compton where you're like, you know, I'd, I'd like to see Jason Mitchell again. I wouldn't mind seeing um, like all those guys. Like I'd like to, I'm not saying like I want to see them uh, star in a movie, but I'm like, you know, I'd like to hang with them again. The guy who played Yellow, he's he's funny on Insecure. Uh, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's the problem with them is like they're either like too green or, or like all eyes on me. Like the guy, <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't all Demetrius Ship. wasn't awful. But I don't really want to see him in anything else. He just like really, really resembles Pac. Or you get the other side where you have somebody like uh, like Anthony Mackie who played Tupac and Notorious, and he's just so fucking actory. It's just so I don't know. It almost feels kind of like, and I, I'm not trying to say that Anthony Mackie is a bad actor, because I I mean he, he he's not he's not my guy. He's he's not like up my alley. Like the you know, but I, it, it, good actor, you know, it's fine, professional. But I don't like him as Pac. Like, I don't like him as, because he brings it like a little too, there's like just a little too much training to it. I think the guys in uh, in NWA is like the right line. And of course, Eminem playing himself. That has been our show. I've been your host, Lyle Barons, and this has been season three of the Let's Unpack That Podcast. Really looking forward to season four. Thank you guys very much. I also want to say, this is a little nitpicket. I just want to add. I was talking with a friend recently about Straight Outta Compton and the scene where Jerry Heller hears no Vaseline for the first time. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck, Eric? How could you allow this anti-Semitic shit? And the EZ character says, relax, Jerry, niggas don't even know what anti-Semitic means. And the homie was saying, like, that doesn't even feel like Easy e That feels like the actual actor, Jason Mitchell, saying that. That doesn't feel like some Easy e like a black man born in, in the mid-1960s, the way he would say it. I'm like, yeah, that does kind of feel kind of more like Chappelle show boondocks. Hey, nigga don't even know what anti-Semitic means. Like, that don't feel like... That doesn't feel like that era. That was like a nitpicket that he had. And I'm like, you know what? That's right. That's right. And I don't know. That was just something I wanted to put out there and see what you guys think about that. I wanted to put that on the outro because I feel like I'm not going to. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to waste valuable airtime on that. Anyways, I hope you guys are well and stay safe.